Hello and welcome to another edition of Proselytize or Apostatize. I'm your host, David Russell, and I'm here with my co-host, David Paulman. What's up, David? How's it going, Russell? Great to be back with another debate. I know. It's been a while since we actually had a debate debate. Uh, um, so, I mean, today we kind of started it off with Aaron, which was kind of cool. And now we are in a formal and slash informal debate style with uh, the voice from Reasons to Doubt and our friends Travis and Tim. Uh, you want to get us introduced, David? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, most of the faces have been on here before, with the exception of Tim. So, uh, but yeah, we'll give everyone an opportunity to introduce themselves. Travis, you've been on the show before, uh, so tell us a little about yourself. Uh, yeah, I'm Travis. I've uh, been a Christian for about three years. Uh, you know, uh, I grew up uh, secular. Uh, you know, I was an atheist. But uh, really looking at the evidence and, uh, you know, going over everything, you know, I eventually became convinced that God exists and that Christianity is true. And tonight I'm going to be defending uh, theistic naturalism and idealism. Gotcha. All right. And then uh, joining us for the first time and in his first debate, Tim Howard from Invoking Theism. Welcome on, Tim. What's up, guys? Thanks for having me on. Really happy to be here. Excited. Uh, yeah. So just quick thing um, about me. I run the channel Invoking Theism. What you'll find there is uh, my interest in metaphysics and um, defending God's existence. So apparently I'm a little quiet. I don't, I don't know how. I yeah. Um, I'll try to fix that after this. But um, yeah, so I just got done with my contingency argument series on there. And um, I am, I'm working on some other things. Uh, some An argument from evolution is going to be coming out at some point. Been doing a lot of reading on that. So, yeah, that's just some quick things about me and what I'm doing. Awesome. Thanks, Tim. And, yeah, Tim's channel is really good, so I do recommend uh, people checking it out. Uh, he doesn't upload a lot, but what he does upload is good. And so, yeah, while he's working on his audio, uh, we've got the boys from Reason to Doubt on. So welcome on, Jared. Uh, tell us about yourself. Yeah, uh, my story is uh, almost the opposite of Travis. I was born and raised a Christian. I say born or raised because I actually— Spent almost my entire life in the church, but um, after looking at the evidence, I realized I didn't have a good reason to believe in God, so I decided not to anymore. Uh, but uh, like I said, we do Reason to Doubt. It's a podcast on skepticism, so we cover everything from Bigfoot to you know, Jesus stuff to QAnon, whatever it is. If, if you can be skeptical about it, we are. And um, yeah, tonight we're going to talk about uh, naturalism. And hey, have you, guys, uh, have you guys uh, done chemtrails yet? Chemtrails? No, we haven't. We haven't tried those. <laughs> Are those like pixie sticks or something? Like you just take them off the nose? I don't... <laughs> Look into that one. That was pretty fun. Um, go ahead, uh, uh, Jordan. You're up, buddy. Yeah. So I run uh, Reason to Doubt with Jared. Uh, he sold himself short a little there. He has a master's in divinity, I think it is. Like uh, that's an interesting story. You can hear it all. The theology yeah i went to seminary <laughs> yeah so check our one of our first episodes for that whole story but i'm a i'm a nuclear engineer in no way qualified to engage in this conversation uh but yeah on the podcast we like just we we try to go all over i think there's something for everybody there we go everything from aliens to QAnon to christianity so uh yeah check us out after this 
All right. And the topic for the debate today is uh, whether theism or naturalism explains reality better. And the format for this debate is we're going to have two opening statements from our theists and then two opening statements from the naturalists. And then after that, they're just going to have some free discussion back and forth. And so without uh, any further introductions, uh, we're going to turn this over to you, Travis, uh, whenever you're ready. Okay, yeah, thank you, and I, I appreciate uh, coming on. So first, I'm going to be presenting the argument from emergent space-time and digital physics. So in the hunt to bridge quantum mechanics with general relativity, the holographic principle is widely regarded as an essential feature of a successful theory of everything. The holographic principle states that gravity in a three-dimensional volume can be described by quantum mechanics on a two-dimensional surface surrounding the volume. In particular, the three dimensions of the volume should emerge from the two dimensions of the surface. A collaboration of physicists and mathematicians from Caltech and the University of Tokyo have made significant steps toward unifying quantum mechanics with general relativity by explaining how space-time emerges from quantum entanglement. Now, in 2017, a UK, Canadian, and Italian study has provided what researchers believe is the first observational evidence that our universe could be a complex hologram. Theoretical physicists investigating irregularities in the cosmic microwave background have found that there is substantial evidence supporting a holographic explanation of the universe by studying these irregularities using the theory of cosmic inflation, showing that space-time could be emergent from information processing in an entangled state. Now, quantum cognition is an emerging field which applies the formula of quantum mechanics uh, to model cognitive phenomena such as information processing, decision-making, memory, concepts, conceptual reasoning, and perception, along with quantum decision theory based on the math speak of Hilbert space directly applied to quantum mechanics. So think of holding conflicting views until finally making a decision. This can be modeled in Hilbert space like the collapse of a wave of potential states. So given the data of quantum cognition and quantum decision theory, and that there's nothing in quantum states that distinguishes between mental and non-mental, and applied to emergent space-time, I would argue the following. Information processing in entangled states is the product of mind. The universe is emergent from information processing in an entangled state. Therefore, the universe is emergent from a mind, and this mind is who we call God. Then my second argument is going to be the argument from teleological precision. So once the universe goes classical around 10 to the minus 35 seconds, we see precision in cosmic inflation, the precision in the united force breaking into the four fundamental forces of gravity, electromagnetism, and the strong and weak forces. For example, the precision in uh, the electromagnetic force is essential for the precise sharing of electrons with atoms, in addition to the ratio of the electron mass to the proton mass, this precision is required for molecules to even be able to bond together. The precision in the strong force is required for governing the degree to which uh, protons and neutrons stick together in atomic nuclei, and to even have hydrogen in the universe. The precision in the weak force is required for life essential elements like carbon, oxygen, nitrogen, and phosphorus to exist in the just right ratios to support life. The precision in the gravitational force is required for determining how hot the nuclear furnace in the cores of stars will burn and uh, to produce the heavy elements essential for life, and is required for even the possibility of a life-sustaining planet. 
Then, interestingly, in the initial moments uh, after the Big Bang, matter and antimatter were created in almost equivalent amounts. Uh, at one millisecond of time, uh, there was a, a release, I think it was like a one in a billion asymmetry. And had it not been for that one extra quark to every billion pair of quarks and antiquarks, the universe would have devolved into radiation and nothing would have ever come into existence. Yet again, yet again, showing precise input at the time of the Big Bang. Then we must have the precise ratio of protons to electrons, ratio of electromagnetic force constant to the gravitational force constant, precise entropy level, precise mass density, precise initial uniformity of cosmic radiation, precise gravitational interaction with the moon to support a stable rotation axis tilt, uh, precise degree of plate tectonics, precise degree of volcanic activity, precise function of even something as insignificant as soil mineralization must be precise or there is no possibility of advanced life. And even in biological evolution like process structuralism, information, uh, precise information is required in the laws of physics for the development of suitable body structures showing that precise information was input at the time of the Big Bang, analogous to uploading information to run a program, showing a state of intentional outcome, from which I would argue. Intentional states are the product of mind. The teleological precision exhibits an intentional state or desired outcome. Therefore, the teleological precision is the product of a mind, and this mind is who we call God. And so with that, I'll go ahead and throw it over to Tim. Okay, how do I sound? I had to go with my laptop mic. I, I wish I could use my better one, but this is the only uh, one that's No, it's fine. Your, your audio is good. All right, cool. All right, uh, when do I start? Whenever you start talking. Okay, cool. All right, so I won't waste any time, yeah. and I'll just jump right into it. I'll, I'll be presenting what I think to be an important foundational framework when it comes to theory choice and in conjunction to arguments in favor of theism. When we are evaluating theories, we often consult a theoretical framework, for this will give us the proper tools for assessing the liability of these theories to internal defeat and to make an assessment of the comparative theoretical virtues of these theories, paying attention to simplicity, unification, explanatory power, and predictive accuracy, and the like. This will be the criteria in which I'll be weighing the two theories against. Now that we have the general framework outlined, I can't proceed. There are a set of facts of reality that both the theists and naturalists are required to explain. I'll be arguing that theism predicts these facts and offers the simplest explanation of them. Matter, physics and fine-tuning, minds, principles of morality, principles of reason. I'll, be, I'll begin with the perfect foundation argument. Premise 1. Reality in total is self-sufficient with no outside cause or explanation. Premise 2. Nothing can be self-sufficient without a perfect foundation. Conclusion, therefore reality has a perfect foundation. The steps of this argument are simple, but it's all we need for it to be effective. For premise one, reason simply reveals that nothing exists beyond the totality of everything. I think that my atheist interlocutors can agree with me on that. If so, then there does, not, then there does exist something uncaused. This implies that there exists something that is itself necessary and has an independent nature. We can conclude this by probing the reality in which we occupy. We are surrounded by things that are dependent on other things for their existence. For example, I am dependent upon my parents for my own existence. These are what we call contingent things, facts that could fail to obtain. To avoid certain explanatory problems, I am only speaking about the facts concerning the existence of things. When we widen our scope, I think it's quite apparent that physical reality is itself contingent. Macro-level objects are dependent upon microphysical objects that compose them. These fundamental microphysical objects are themselves dependent upon their internal structure in which they are united, and so on it goes. 
We face a construction error when we try to arrive at independence from dependence. No matter how many dependent things you add up, you will only get more dependent things. This is because dependent things are uniformly alike. Sorry, I lost myself. Are uniformly alike. Even if you have a past eternally existing infinite regress, by way of uniformity, it doesn't exempt that past eternally existing set of dependent things from having a further non-circular explanation. We can then conclude that the dependent things cannot construct the self-sufficient totality, but this self-sufficient totality is the foundation of the dependent things. Why must this foundation be perfect? The foundation must be perfect because an imperfect foundation generates two problems for the naturalist. One, arbitrary limits, and two, construction. The first problem is internal to the foundation itself. Arbitrary limits only add unnecessary complexity to the foundation, making it lack self-sufficiency and rendering it intrinsically less likely than a foundation that lacks limits. The problem for naturalism is that it implicitly posits these kinds of limits to explain reality. On naturalism, reality must have incomplete and arbitrary boundedness. This causes naturalism to have a theoretical, a theoretical cost in regard to simplicity, while giving theism a theoretical gain. The second problem an imperfect foundation faces is construction. An imperfect foundation lacks the resources for constructing the rest of reality. As I mentioned before, these are matter, minds, principles of morality, and principles of reason. A foundation of these things must then include the resources to produce these things. Only a perfect mental and moral nature includes the resources to construct the mental and moral dimensions of our world. Therefore, the foundation has a perfect mental and moral nature. The last argument I'll, be, I'll present will help solidify what I have just argued by exposing the nature of limits. Premise one, every limit is explicable. Premise two, the property having limits is itself a limit. Premise three, therefore having limits is explicable by, by premise one and two. If premise four, if having limits is explicable, something could lack limits. Five, therefore something could lack limits by way of premise three and four. Six, if something could lack limits, then something must be perfect. Seven, therefore something must be perfect, i.e. God by way of five and six. On naturalism, the foundation of reality must be bounded and have limits. A foundation that lacks limits and is unbounded is something only theism can have. In my opening statement, I set out to lay a helpful theoretical framework to aid us in theory choice and presented two arguments in favor of theism. The first argument shows why the foundation of reality must be perfect, and the second argument shows why, li why limited things point to something that lacks limits, something that's perfect. Lastly, I've demonstrated how an imperfect foundation that naturalism posits is a theory that lacks explanatory power and simplicity. I'm looking forward to the discussion and thank you all for listening. And so I'll just end my time there. All right. Thank you, Travis and Tim, for those opening statements. Uh, and now we're going to hear from the naturalist side. So, uh, Jared, we're going to start with you. Awesome. Well, first, I want to say thank you for having us again uh, and allowing us to participate in tonight's debate conversation. It's always a pleasure to be with you guys. So in order for either side to claim victory uh, for tonight, they must show that their position is intrinsically more probable than the other. Unless you're a solipsist or think that you're just a brain in a vat somewhere, you agree that we share reality. This reality is physical, dare I say natural. Therefore, naturalism is the default position. If you want to add a layer of theism on top of that, you are now accepting the burden of proof. Naturalism is simply the position that everything has a natural cause or explanation. Theism, then, would be the opposite of that, meaning everything has a supernatural cause or explanation. We should take note, however, that these are just two possible explanations for reality, and there could be countless more. Just because one is false does not mean the other is true. In order for either naturalism or theism to be more probable than the other, it needs to have greater explanatory power. 
That is to say, it should make the least amount of assumptions, offer the most causal relations, and have greater predictive power. Let us take a look at a few examples and we can uh, see what we expect to find if either position were true. So if theism were true, we would expect religious beliefs to be universal. If there is one God and this God has revealed itself to humanity, we would expect a single religion based on this revelation. If naturalism were true, we would expect different religious beliefs throughout history, many of them being inconsistent with each other as a result of them developing under different local conditions. If theism were true, we would expect that religious doctrines be consistent, reflecting that this theistic God is perfect and would want all of its creation to have an accurate understanding of its will. If naturalism were true, we would expect doctrines to adapt and change along with society, reflecting that doctrines would be decided upon and created by humans under social and historical contexts. If theism were true, we would expect the world be a perfect, excuse me, we would expect the word of a perfect all-knowing God revealed in sacred texts and holy books to only offer us useful information. Think along the lines of instructing people to wash their hands, germ theory, stuff like that. So if naturalism were true, we would expect sacred texts to be a jumble of the good, the bad, and the ugly, reflecting that they were created by imperfect humans. On theism, if everything was designed by a perfect creator, we would expect biological forms to be perfect and never change. If naturalism were true, we would expect constant adaptation. If theism were true, we would expect that minds be completely independent from bodies. If naturalism were true, we would expect minds to be completely dependent on the body and affected by things like injury, fatigue, and illness. If theism were true, we would expect moral teachings to be transcendent and completely progressive from the beginning of time, reflecting the perfect moral nature to which they are based. If naturalism were true, moral teachings would be relative to location and change with the times, not always good or bad. If theism were true, we would expect the universe to be perfect. If naturalism were true, we would expect the universe to be an utter mess. Of the two worldviews in question tonight, only one of them seems to fit with the reality we all share. Now, some of you might be familiar with this example, but I think it highlights my point well. So imagine we both are looking at a bowl of colorful candies. Looking at the bowl, we can only see the top layer, but the ones that we can see all have the M&M logo stamped on it. We come up with two competing hypotheses. I say the bowl contains only M&Ms, naturalism. Our opponents say that the bowl contains mostly M&Ms, but has a few Skittles in it. It's theism. To test this hypothesis, we start pulling out candies from the bowl. We pull the first one out, and it's an M&M. Now you're going to argue, you knew that one was an M&M, you cherry-picked it because you saw the logo. Sure, but we keep on pulling out two, then five, 20, and so on. There are no amount of M&Ms we could pull, short of emptying the entire bowl, to prove there are zero Skittles. However, the more M&Ms we pull without getting a Skittle, the more confident we can be in the hypothesis that the bowl contains only M&Ms. Now, obviously, we don't have time to go through and pull out every possible example from our candy bowl tonight. We are asking our opponents to pull out one single Skittle from the bowl. If they are not able to do so, I see no reason for us to prefer their model as the best explanation for reality. All right, and then I think we're over to you, Jordan, for your six-minute opening statement. All right, thanks. So the question before us today is whether theism or naturalism is the better explainer of reality. Uh, the answer to this question, as to most questions, is it depends. In this case, it depends on what you mean by better. What makes a model of reality better? Is it better if it gives you hope for the future or meaning to your life? 
should the better theory uh, provide easy answers to all of life's questions, regardless of whether those answers are verifiably correct. Perhaps that's what some people look for in their models of reality. As for me, I'm an engineer, and engineers are a famously pragmatic species. What I care about is what is effective. And as such, I think the better model is the one that is most useful in making accurate predictions about the world around us. That's why we make theories, after all. We construct theories to give us a framework for analyzing data and making accurate predictions. Therefore, if we're confronted with two equally supported theories, I submit that we should prefer the one that is more useful. If equally useful, we should prefer the simpler one. Now, I'm not a philosophical naturalist. I allow that the supernatural could very well exist, though I remain unconvinced that it does, in fact, exist. Yet, if you force me to choose between theism and naturalism, I'd have to go with naturalism for a variety of reasons, not the least of which is because it is far and away the more useful framework for constructing theories. No great scientific theory has ever been made that is based on a theistic framework. Indeed, invoking a deity invariably stifles discovery. Newton, for example, contributed greatly to the science, uh, to, to the science we have today, including laws of motion we still use to put rockets on the moon. Uh, yet there were things he didn't understand. Why didn't the solar system eventually spiral into disorder? Why were the planets all moving in the same direction? To fill these gaps, he invoked God. Problem solved. Now, had future scientists been satisfied with his theistic answer, which, after all, explained all of the evidence, then we'd still be at that level of understanding today. Fortunately, future scientists were not satisfied with that answer. Laplace expounded on Newton's discoveries and filled in some of those gaps that Newton had with his own scientific knowledge. In exchange, it's, it's probably apocryphal, meaning it probably didn't happen. Uh, Laplace was questioned by Napoleon as to why he did not mention God in his theories. Laplace replied, I had no need of that hypothesis. This is the reason that every serious scientist utilizes methodological naturalism, regardless of their own religious commitments. Theism explains everything easily. When you have access to magic, no phenomena lacks an explanation. Yet these easy answers, when taken seriously, prevent us from exploring deeper into the world, the way the world around us functions. If God did it is the answer, there's no need for further questioning, and questions drive discovery. Now, that's not to say that one cannot be both a theist and a scientist. According to Pew Research, about half of scientists are some flavor of religious, and many of them say that they see uh, their scientific work as a way of exploring how God fashioned the universe that they, they live in. Nevertheless, none of them seriously use their theism as a framework when testing hypotheses, because such a framework leads nowhere. All scientists are atheists when they step into the lab. But wait, I hear you cry. Methodological naturalism excludes supernatural explanations a priori. You've decided that there won't be a supernatural explanation before you even start, so of course you never find a supernatural explanation. This is, at its root, an accusation of bias. Uh, we don't see the supernatural because we don't want to see it. Yet the track record of scientific success cannot merely be the result of bias. Bias doesn't put probes on passing asteroids or create new vaccines. Human history is overflowing with examples of natural explanations replacing magical ones. The reverse has never yet been true. So far, starting with the assumption that a given phenomenon is natural has been a winning strategy. Given that track record, it would seem to be the worst brand of foolishness to posit magic as the first choice. But suppose we wanted to ditch this proven workhorse and give the theistic model its due. How would we go about doing that? To my knowledge, theists have yet to devise a method to detect supernatural forces at work. Ex examinations into prayer and miracles have always come up inconclusive at best and conclusively negative at worst. Of course, if a deity did exist, they could easily act in ways that would be clearly supernatural, uh, rearranging the stars in the sky, supernaturally heating churches in the ways that defy thermodynamics, etc. 
But unfortunately, the deity that we have, if we have one, seems, for whatever reason, to have chosen the inconvenient strategy of acting exclusively in ways that could be plausibly interpreted as natural. Given that, how would we dis distinguish between a supernatural event and a low-probability natural event, or perhaps a natural event that we just don't yet understand? After all, uh, up till now, mysteries have had the habit of turning out to be mundane natural events. So when given a certain observation, uh, how would we determine that this time it really is supernatural? Perhaps our interlocutors have the answers to that question. I know I don't. Now, none of this shows that the supernatural doesn't exist, of course, and it doesn't show that theism is false. Uh, it is and likely will always be a logical uh, possibility. But it's not up to me, the naturalist, to exclude the supernatural. It's up to the theist to prove that the supernatural they require it actually exists. Uh, as far as I know, they have yet to do so, but maybe we'll see it tonight. I don't know. In conclusion, science grounded in naturalism is the most successful human endeavor to date. From satellites to computer screens, naturalism continues to yield bountiful harvests. It has proven its worth repeatedly over the course of human history. When it comes to exploring the nature of our reality, nothing achieves results like naturalism. From this engineer's perspective, if that doesn't make it better, then I don't know what would. Mm -hmm. All right. Thank you so much for those opening statements. Uh, Russell, you had something to say before we go nope, in? Nope. Nope. I was just going to jump in there and uh, see if uh, how we wanted to do the uh, informal part. Do we want to tag team it? Like, you want to stifle it? You know, like Travis will ask the first questions to get the ball rolling. And then Jordan may be the second. And then Tim the third and Jared the fourth, or do you guys just want to go at it? Uh, I was uh, sorry. Go ahead. No, you went before me. Okay, so I, I I like the round robin or giving someone a chance to ask questions, but you know, whatever. Okay. What, what were you going to say, Tim? Okay, well. Oh, I was just gonna. Um, I I was just gonna go with kind of the the, uh, the free flowing nature of it, but um, let's let it go. Think. Let's let um let's let the theist side begin uh, just with some questions for the atheist side since I think it, it, as I understood the statements it's the idea is or at least our naturalists are saying that the theists here have the burden of proof so let's let the theists begin asking some questions and then um yeah Travis I'll let you go first and then uh you know if we're getting bogged down or something we can uh, jump in and you know, give the naturalists a chance to throw some fire that way. But basically, we'll let it flow pretty naturally. But Travis, uh, open us uh, up with a question. I see what you did there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, uh, you know, basically, you know, in this conversation, we're both arguing the affirmative. And um, to, to begin with, you know, uh, I know you made, you know, predictions and, and everything. But one of the problems with that is it's kind of, you know, committing God psychology, like... Uh, you know, God should do this according to my interpretation. God should do this and not this. We should expect this. So um, I, I don't really see that as being valid. I mean, it, it's just committing God psychology. And uh, moreover, you know, the, the importance is actually the theological message, not to impart advanced science to us, but, you know, to give us a model to live by theologically. And then, you know, with, you know, suffering and things like that you know i would apply a free will theodicy a soul making theodicy and a, another thing to make clear you know i know you brought up magic uh you know that that's a, a common thing atheists like to say but my position is that god works through the natural laws of physics but not within them i'm not an intelligent design proponent i think god works through the natural laws i, I mean i'm an idealist so um 
I, I didn't really see that as being very convincing that you have a better explanation than theism. Well, especially, you know, uh, given the argument of, of like, you know, everything we see, like, you know, with the laws of physics, the precision. Now, I'm not doing really a fine tuning argument, but that everything has to be precise. Like, you know, it, it's goal oriented. It should be and then, like, you know, tuned. I can take so, it. <laughs> so it should be price precise or if I could rephrase finely tuned. Yeah. But if I if I may, Travis, because um, you've saying... asked like three questions so far. So let's take yeah. them in, in order. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll respond to the. You're saying you're arguing that you know the theist is the theist God, theistic God is using naturalism to come about with these means, uh, and I, I, I highlight that in my example that you're you're trying to place a skittle in our bowl of M and M's here. You're saying all of our evidence for naturalism is accurate, but then you're taking it one level further and saying, yeah, but my God did that, and what I'm saying is you haven't demonstrated that the God actually did that. Yeah, so it's like you're borrowing from our worldview and Cy Ten Brutenkate language yeah. to argue <laughs> your own. If, if we're not supposed to play God's psychology, then how are we supposed to use theism to make predictions? Like, what predictions should we make? Oh, okay, so one prediction uh, is that, you know, the universe would be orderly, like, you know, the universal applicability of mathematics and, and everything, I think is much more probable given theism than naturalism. And uh, what I'm what? saying is, like, uh, I'm, I'm taking it back to a necessary first cause, because, uh, you know, naturalism, like, there's no uh, explanation of why things are the way they are. What, yeah, well, if... what method are you using to assess the probability that a world would be more ordered under a theistic versus natural? Like, how many universes has you, have you compared? Because I'm guessing the answer is one. And a sample size of one is bad for assessing probabilities. So so what are you using specifically to assess this probability? That, uh, okay, if uh, with the universal applicability of mathematics and the fact that our cognitive abilities can do science and research, I would say it's more probable that we live uh, in a universe that was in, uh, created by an intelligence. I mean, okay. do, you not, do you not see that? Yeah. Um, what's I, the problem with that? I get that you're asserting that. I'm asking, you said that the world, the universe that we live in is ordered, and it's more likely to be ordered under theism than naturalism. I'm asking... Right, what it's a philosophical word. So, okay, so what are you using to... You're assessing the probability somehow. I know you have asserted that that's the probability. How are you because assessing it shows, the probability? Because it shows order, reason, intelligence behind the universe. We can have order completely naturally. I mean, order arrives all the time, naturally. So I, I don't see... Oh. I, I'll, I'll, whenever ice freezes, have you ever looked at the crystal lattice in ice or any material when it, goes, when it does a phase change? Uh, if you look at the, the crystal lattice of a metal, for example, uh, or in graphite, it's extremely well-ordered. And that's... Uh, unless you think that God is placing every atom in place, uh, that's clearly order arriving out of nature. So the fact that there is order it doesn't seem to me is necessarily indicative that right. someone put it there. Right, but, but interestingly, the order in nature assumes teleology, that its goal, or it, you know, it has, a, it has an order to it. That's teleology. I, I don't see why order should be a problem. Like, wh what's, what's the issue? I, the, I, I just don't see, I don't see why there has to be someone at the beginning of time saying there shall be order. Like, 
I have no problem accepting that we live in an ordered universe for several reasons. First of all, you could just invoke the weak anthropic principle. Uh, it's it's hard for me to, I, I'm not saying necessarily, because I don't know enough about life to say that there couldn't be, but it's hard for me to imagine how life could arise in a place where the laws of physics changed every day. Uh, so right, so uh, you're basically appealing to the puddle analogy, is that it? Well, I'm saying that I don't require a god in order to adequately explain why we live in an ordered universe. Uh, just to have an just to have an arrow of time, you have to have a low entropy beginning or at least a low entropy state uh, proceeding in right, order to right. have an arrow of time. So I don't see why a god has to be there. Uh, okay, so I've made two arguments, and uh, you know I haven't really heard a response to them. Uh, uh, Tim, did you have anything you wanted to add? To yeah, I wanted to bring Tim in to see. Uh, Tim, what are your thoughts? Yeah, on so um, the first, I guess I'll just what, start with a question. Or what am I doing? Any way yeah, you want, want, buddy. Yeah, if you want. Okay, so um, I'll, just, I'll just ask um, our interlocutors here. What type of hypothesis do you think theism is? Yeah, that's a good one. So, well, Jared, you're the theologian, so why don't you answer that? Yeah, if the hypothesis is that theism is the reason behind everything, right? So without this theist, this theistic God, nothing would take place. It, it's there to be the prime mover, is what I hear you guys arguing, that without the prime mover, you wouldn't have anything like morals, you wouldn't have anything like physics, you wouldn't have anything like the, the universe. Um, but it's not really my place to tell me, tell you what your argument should be, though. <laughs> Oh no, I'm I'm just wondering because if we have our presuppositions wrong, then we're going to be pa talking past each other in the entire conversation. No, so I we totally need to be agree. On the same yeah. page. So before we get to the disagreeing bit, we need to get to the understanding bit first. Um, right. So, um, with what Jared just described, given my understanding, um, Jared and Jordan are actually in disagreement upon uh, what they're arguing against because Jared actually is describing something not as not as in line with what I'm arguing, but more in line than what Jordan is arguing. So that's why I'm bringing this up. Um, so I'll just go ahead and, and clarify. Did I, did I invoke a god in my... I must have you really did. must. I re must have really messed up if I invoke God as an explanation. <laughs> well, we already converted you last, last time you were on. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, what I'm saying is that um, the type of uh, thesis, theistic thesis that Jared described is more in line with what I am describing than what you are describing. No, I was trying to read back to you the kind of thing that you told me in your argument is what I was trying to do. Right. I don't necessarily I'm, agree with that, though. No, I don't, I don't say you have to agree with it. I'm just saying that you got my position more accurately than Jordan is at this well, point. Well, since I wrote my opening prior to hearing your, your <laughs> argument, that make, that's a prediction I would have made. <laughs> Well, so, no. so, so since since I apparently lack all understanding of your position, why don't you explain your position to me? Well, no, that, that's not what I'm trying to say. I'm just saying that um, there are, from Jordan, from what I'm hearing in your responses back and forth with Travis, what I'm seeing is um, there's a crucial presupposition that is lacking here. And that's all the reason. That's the only thing I'm trying to clear up, which is um, I want us all to be on the same page. So this is not about that you're just not understanding things. It's just that um, there's some things that we that I just want to clear up so that we are on the same page so that we're not attacking straw men, but that we're steel manning. All right, well, then do it, brother. So, <laughs> um, 
so yeah, so theism is a uh, metaphysical explanatory hypothesis, not a scientific one. So with right. that, um, any natural explanation, um, I concede all natural explanations. Um, Thomas Aquinas uh, referred, uh, he looked at reality in terms of primary and secondary causes, not in supernatural and natural. I actually reject that distinction. I don't think it's helpful. Um, so that's what the, theism isn't positing um, God in processes. Theism is providing an explanation for why those processes at all. Um, right. So that is that yeah. is what I'm arguing for. It's a metaphysical theory of reality. These sets of facts that we are required to explain are metaphysical, not scientific. Sure. You're so, actually arguing right. for deism, though, in my opinion. You're not. You you haven't made the jump to theism yet. And okay, so it, yeah, if I could chime in real quick, you know, uh, you know, going back to both of them, like uh, the, the question of theism is a philosophical, you know, uh, metaphysical conclusion. So it, it's not a scientific data. What we're doing is making philosophical conclusions based on the science. So, you know, we're not but, really trying trying to argue for it scientifically, if that's the right. Okay, the right I have. I have, no, I have no need for your hypothesis. If, if I don't require a God to explain any observation, then why should I have one? Well, I mean, that, that's your psychological... You're welcome to your psychological state. I mean, um, I, it, yeah. it, why, why should I... If I have a perfectly good explanation for the universe, and I get from, all the way from where I am to the earliest observation, and God doesn't need to be involved at all anyway, because you said you conceded all natural phenomena. Okay. So if everything we well, observe has a natural explanation, and then you're like... Oh yeah, but but then put God at the beginning. Like why? Well, no, you have, you have no philosophical uh, grounding for why it should be there in the first place, which is what we're we're arguing for contingency. Right, and hey, but I would say that, yeah, I would say Travis that. Sure. Okay. But we we are perfectly comfortable saying we don't know why it's there, and our arguments. I don't know if you you saw how we structured it was to say that every explanation that's ever been presented throughout history has been either a natural explanation or a natural explanation replacing a supernatural explanation that was there before. And so if we're walking down a road and we see red house after red house after red house after red house, we could be pretty rest assured mm -hmm. that the next house we come across is a red house. We don't, know like, that. we don't know that for certain. Yeah, we don't know that for certain, but right. we I, can make a I, prediction I, I, that that's what it's going to be. And so what you're kind of doing here is this is a fancy version of God of the Gaps. Like we've moved the, the goalposts all the way back to the beginning. And now you're saying that at the beginning, we needed God there to be the prime mover, to have all these structures in place so that way we could be the way we are today. And we're saying that we don't know if that's the case, but we're perfectly comfortable saying we don't know. And you haven't really provided evidence for it. You've provided some arguments, which I don't know if I actually, I wasn't able to write down all of your um your premises, but I don't know if I agree with all of them. First of all, uh, Tim, let okay, me, so, Hey, Travis, hold on. Let's, let's get Tim back in here. Sure. Cause, uh, we were going with a couple questions from him. So go ahead, Tim. No. Um, I just want to ask Jared, um, cause he brought in the, uh, fancy God of the gaps. Um, just trying to do more of the understanding bit here. Um, uh, can you just, what's your, what's your definition of God of the gaps? Um, just real quick. So my definition of God of the gaps is yeah. So if we have a gap in our knowledge, we put God in that gap. 
That's okay. literally what God of the gaps is to me. So my gap in the knowledge for the beginning of the universe is a gap in knowledge. I'm saying I don't know. And I'm saying that you are placing God in that gap to fill that hole. And a layman's basic level understanding. Okay. So that so that's really helpful um, that I have now that, that I have your definition. Um, yeah. So I completely reject God of the gaps arguments. Um, which is primarily why I'm not an intelligent design advocate. So I'm actually, um, sorry, Dave, I, I, I know that you and I have disagreed on that. I'm not trying to say anything, about you, but I'm just saying that's where I'm at. So you and I are, are, are in the exact same page. That's something that you and I can be united together. We can kind of, um, we have our two lights and we, we, we've both seen that together. Like, okay, no God of the gaps. Um, but I just want to clarify real quick. Um, God of the gaps was coined by a man named Henry Drummond, I believe. And it's uh, the reason why it's a fallacy is because you insert God into a physical phenomenon to explain it when we don't have a physical explanation of that phenomenon. Now, I think that 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 is completely wrong. And because as philosopher Richard Swinburne argues, there's two types of explanations. There's explanations in terms of the laws of nature and initial conditions. And then there's explanations in terms of agency or a personal explanation. And so if, a, if something can be explained in terms of initial conditions, laws of nature, then um, I, I concede that. Now, you mentioned, if I heard you correctly, you said, um, I can say I don't know about the beginning of the universe. Now, I never mentioned anything about a beginning of the universe. Even in my opening statement, I mentioned that you could have a past eternally existing set of an infinite regress. And that is not a, a sufficient explanation as to why there exists a past eternally except. So the universe can be past eternal. I will grant that for sake of conversation. But what I'm asking is for your foundations. Why a past eternally existing set of infinite regress? And on and if you're going to, if we're going to look at the theoretical virtues, such as simplicity, explanatory power, unification, and predictive accuracy, what on a naturalistic hypothesis, we start with non-mind, will you get a type of um, set of something existing, something like a fact like that obtaining in reality? That's what I'm asking as the theist. Can I just clarify real quick? Yeah. So are you are you saying that there's an infinite regress, but the infinite regress has a start, and that start is a mind? No, I'm talking about. Um, I'm not even. I'm just granting an infinite regress for the sake of saying it doesn't go against my okay, my okay, or my I, beliefs. All right, that makes sense now. So yeah, you're saying that if the universe is past eternal, we figured out the physical mechanisms. Sean Carroll's method model is correct. We've got it all the way from right to now. That's all fine, and you want to know why. Yeah, because that doesn't okay. support naturalism. Then that just says I, that there's a natural explanation, but that doesn't support naturalism. I, ha I have to be completely honest. I could not care less because it doesn't matter. You're not owed a why. The universe is under no obligation to give you a why. By, by what right do you demand a why? There might not be a why. It, like, it, I, you have no basis on which to say that there must be a why. If I can explain every observation from the beginning, from past eternal to future eternal, then we're done. Pack it up, boys. Like, learning's done. I, I don't, I, I just don't understand what the motivation so, is. Yeah, so my motivation is not um, an, an incredulous one. It's one trying to be consistent with reason, the light of reason, and my explanatory principles. So I'm operating off of explanatory principles. I'm trying to follow them 
um, as up until uh, they will terminate. And so I guess the next question would be, um, we should be on the same page, I guess, when it comes to uh, exp our explanatory principles and which we are when which we are measuring what deserves an explanation and what doesn't deserve an explanation, something that can illuminate um, why a particular fact obtains and why a particular fact might not obtain. So I guess I would just ask you, um, what what are your principles and what you are using to inform your not caring? So when you say, why did X happen, when you're talking about something like an asteroid moving or an electron tunneling, why is synonymous with how? It, what, what principle yeah. caused it, right? The only time when they're not the same is when there's a person who you could ask some kind of motivation for, right? Why did you move that cup? That implies a motivation. I'm saying, and it seems to me that you're using the how why when what you should be, or you're using the cup why, the person why, the mind why, when what you should be using is the how why. How did the universe come into being? Uh, if we already know how, and God didn't need to be involved in that, then, then yeah, why should so, we have that? So yeah, I, I'm, on, I'm on the same page with you on that. Um, but remember earlier when I talked about two different kinds of explanations. Um, we don't want to beg the question here because you, um, and I'm not, I'm not trying to call you out. I'm not trying to say that you're doing anything. I mean, if I um, am, totally call me out. <laughs> but I'm just saying, um, it seems that you are biasing one particular type of explanation. Explanation in terms of the initial conditions and laws of nature. I already said that I'm fine with that. For example, why is the water boiling? Uh, uh, the irritation on the speed of the molecules. Okay, that's a, I'm fine. I'm fine with that. And then there's a personal explanation, which is somebody wanted a, a desire to have a cup of tea, for example. Okay, I'm with um, you. So, and ask. So I'm not considered. I'm not. I'm not concerned with asteroids, and how they move. I'm concerned, and that's a physical concern. I'm concerned with the metaphysical, which is what this whole debate is about. Theism and naturalism are metaphysical hypotheses about reality. So I'm not concerned with how the physical works. I'm concerned with which theory best predicts why the physical works the way it does. You're Let me tell you, you so. Let me tell you all both something. I am worried about asteroids because if one <laughs> is on the trajectory of our planet, <laughs> then I am going to worry about it. But anyway, don't worry. Good. David, don't worry. We got Bruce Willis down here. We're all good, brother. Yeah, yeah. he's still alive, yeah. man. Yeah, he didn't die of COVID or anything. So, uh, yeah, we might be able to send him out. It seems like a little bit of, of question begging or, or circular reasoning if you're saying, but why the universe? Isn't that personal why? You know, the personal reason? You're assuming that there is, in fact, one, uh, which, which it seems to me you'd have to, to demonstrate that there is, in fact, one at I don't see any reason a priori why there should be. Okay. Yeah, well, Travis, yeah, Travis, I'm going to let you jump in here real quick. Um, you're muted right now, bud, so. You're, no, you're muted, muted, bud. Muted. On Skype, you're muted. There we go. There you go. You hear me I'm going to let you jump in. Yeah, I'm going to let you okay. jump in there. I saw your hand up, so. Yeah, um, so... You know, because uh, Tim and I would both agree, you know, like, you know, with like natural, you know, the laws of physics and everything. But uh, our argument is more like metaphysical and philosophical. And I'm wondering how you get that mechanism explains away agency. I don't require an agent. I don't. Well, I mean, you would need to I mean, you, you would need to offer an explanation uh, like how 
a, a mechanism itself can explain away an agency. I, I just don't see that. Where's You're, the agent? Yeah, you haven't, agent? Been you haven't demonstrated the agent or the uh, agency. Okay, well, in my first argument, I presented evidence of, you know, emergent space-time from information processing and how it correlates okay. to quantum cognition. Well, let, let's get into that then. Um, you, okay. you basically made a fine-tuning argument. And so uh, you said things like we have just the right ratio. That You were talking about the ratios between the fundamental forces um, and precise inputs. Well, that, that was the first argument, but okay, yeah. Yeah, and you used that to say basically there had to be somebody fiddling with the dials. There's an agent who's intending for this universe to support life. Is that accurate? Well, no, basically, sort of. What I'm saying is, is that the amount of precision is more indicative of, uh, you know, an intentional state. And we know okay. that intentionality is a, is a property of mind. How many universes did you survey to come up with that conclusion? There's only one universe that we're aware of. You know so that. your statistical basis for that assumption, for that, for that judgment, is a sample size of one. How precise, well, you know, how precise should that, entropy... That does not get rid of the fact that everything has to be precise in order for advanced life to okay. be here. First of all, uh, you don't know for... Well, if you define universe as all of reality, then there's only one. Yeah, let, let me just step in real quick, and I don't mean to interrupt you, but I can actually grant a, a multiverse, because uh, I'm a proponent of super string theory, so I mean, I, I'm fine with the multiverse. Okay, then there you go. The reason that our local observable universe... But that doesn't explain... I, it's it's no, fine. You want to talk? You go ahead and talk. Well, no, I was going to say that the multiverse doesn't explain away the fine tuning, and we can get into that if you. Want. It absolutely. It it does explain it away does. because if you have infinite universes, the uh, the chances that we're going to have one that supports life are really high. Well, no, no, no. What what it is? It's survivorship bias. So if yeah. we have a multiverse where the laws of physics change from place to place because of the configuration of strings or whatever kind of physics you want to assume, then the the universes where you find life will be the ones with conditions suitable for life. It, it's not, there's nothing miraculous. That's just, it's survivorship bias. If you didn't have a universe that was sufficient for life, there'd be no life around to comment on it. Also, you're, right. you're suggesting Travis that there's, you're saying there's an appearance of design. There's an appearance of a purpose behind all this stuff, but we're asking you to demonstrate that there actually is and you're just saying that there's an appearance. I don't see how you get from an appearance of design to actually well, going there. I, I explained how we have to have, you know, the precision in the, the uh, strong weak nuclear forces, the gravitational force, and, you know, how like even like plate tectonics and all this has to be precise in order for us to be here. So now, I, going back to a, a multi... I don't need a multiverse to explain on the planet. The planet, that's just the puddle problem. There's... They're, they're based on we we don't have a lot of data yet on livable planets, but we have every reason to suspect with the size of space that there will be billions, if not trillions, of planets in the habitable zone. So I don't need any kind of multiverse to explain why. I, I cool. Then the whole thing with plant anything about conditions on Earth is no longer valid. Continue. Uh, no. Okay. So what I'm saying is that you know what we have to have the precision is not just on the planet, but like on the four fundamental forces and the way the United Force broke. We have okay. to have the precision, like, you know, the, the electromagnetic force constant to the gravitational force right. constant. And in fact, we have to have, you know, the ratio of the electron mass to the proton mass for molecules to even bond together. And what I'm saying is that, that should, that's, you know, we have to have that precision. What do you think the odds are that that would happen by chance? 
by chance, uh, uh, so are, are you appealing to the multiverse or just like a random chance? Because I'm, I'm, I'm asking if we roll the dice again for okay. all, however many n number of things you think that, the, however many dials you think are precisely tuned, what are the mm -hmm. odds that those would come out in a way that would be conducive for life of some sort? Do I don't know because, because it's not just a matter of probability and improbability alone. I mean, like, shuffle a deck of cards and, you know, what are the chances of getting an ace of hearts? You know, I mean, it's extremely unlikely, but it would have no significance, no purpose. I mean, we're talking about, like, galaxies and universes coming into being. So okay. a lot of it is the – what I'm arguing for is the precision and the mechanistic function more than just probability and probability. That's a distinction without a difference. If there's – a million billion if the chances of this precisely tuned set of, of of constants or whatever the prevalence of antimatter in the beginning universe however many precise conditions you want to put out all of those could vary you're saying if for, in order for it to be precise in order for that word to have any kind of meaning then it would have to have possibly been otherwise right otherwise there's no precision because it just is the way it is so uh in order for that to be significant uh it would have mm -hmm. to be uh, you're, you're saying that it's precise, and so therefore that's an that's uh, indication of an agent. But I'm saying if there's a one in a trillion, 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 trillion chance of it happening, if you have a trillion, 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 trillion trials, it's going to happen. There is nothing significant about that. So if you're granting the well, multiverse... See, my argument... Uh, David, okay, you're, so... you're muted. My bad, guys. Yeah, I, I did want to jump in here because Jared had his hand up. I want him to to jump in here and, and give his thoughts real quick. And then I kind of want to switch it up, guys. I want to want to switch it up for the uh, atheists to uh, take the lead and and lead the questions that way, so we can get a, a little bit more. I get I've given about a little over ten minutes to the theists, so we're gonna do the same well, for the atheists. We've kind of been asking questions back and forth, so I'd, yeah, I'm totally fine. But I was just gonna ask, like, supp suppose we had a natural explanation that accounted. For for all your variables that accounted for all the precision that you saw. Um, let's say we, we were able to present that. Would you still see a need for a, a, a theistic God? Yes, because it's a philosophical conclusion. Okay, so why are, you bothering, if, a... why are you bothering with fine-tuning then if that's what you're arguing for? Just go to the thing that you're arguing for. That's, that's our argument. So like you just said that if you ha if I gave you a natural explanation for all those dials and all those tunings, you wouldn't you would still say there's a god necessary. And we're asking you, all right, but why? Like that's the question we want to know. With everything pointing in in the same direction, the philosophical argument is that you know intentional states are the product of mind, and that with everything in pointing in the same direction, it's indicative of an, an intentional state. So. It's only indicative of an intentional state if it was unlikely to be otherwise. Uh, things can all point the same direction naturally by chance. It happens sometimes. So there's nothing. There's you. You have yet to show the intentionality. Particularly if you want to grant the multiverse. If you want to grant the multiverse, then it's trivial. Uh, you, it's on you to show intentionality with all of okay. these things pointed the same way. Okay. So let me first address the multiverse. Uh, in fact, I like Hugh Ross's argument that. Uh, if you want to apply a multiverse to the fine-tuning, you would need an infinite amount of uh, multiverses for each fine-tuned perimeter. So you would need infinity upon infinity upon infinity to where science would no longer even be valid. Like, everything would be explained by the universe. That's... So, I mean, that's self-defeating. 
okay, well, first of all, you already granted a past eternal universe, so I've got all the infinities I need. Like, well, no, uh, I didn't even ask for that. You just offered it, so I'll take it. Well, that would go back to my my original argument that you know, space time being uh, emergent from information, that uh, any spatial temporal dimensions would be an emergent feature of the underlying information processing. So we're kind of that wasn't part of the fine tuning. That was part of my my first argument. Okay, so I don't understand why the holographic principle uh, invokes a deity. Um. So far as I'm aware, I, I've read. I have, I have, I'm not. I'm not a physicist. I, I only have a minor in physics, so I don't claim to understand. <laughs> I don't. I don't claim to be a cosmologist. I've read a couple papers on the on the holographic principle, and none of them concluded that there was a deity. So, <laughs> and, and no, I'm. I'm not saying that that alone. What, what I'm doing is I'm taking uh, like studies in quantum cognition, which state that information, you know, like our thought, decision making, you know. Uh, is describable in quantum mechanics like information processing in an entangled state, and it's the same type of properties that space-time is emergent from under Sean Kira's model. So it shows that you know the uh, information that space-time is is emergent from would have mental properties. Okay. So and, and then like I could now, now listen, I, and that's why I said I could grant an inf, what you would consider an infinite regress, uh, an infinite multiverse, because anything any spatial core dimension would be an emergent feature of that underlying information process. If you're saying that quantum mechanics explains our cognition, our mind, then all you've told me is that our mind is natural. So, no, I mean, no, that doesn't follow. But if you said is that it's entangled within a brain, but th that's a that's a separate issue. What do you that, think entanglement means? I'm sorry. What do you, you so because it's entangled, it's a separate issue, right? Is that is that what I just heard you say? Uh, no, uh, I, I was explaining. That, that's kind of like the the mind body problem. I, I think if you're trying to get into that, and I'm saying my view on that is that you know our conscious state is entangled within a brain and needs a brain to operate. But uh, going back to quantum cognition, it's like you know. But, okay, uh, hold, hold on. You're saying it's an our my, my mind is like entangled with a brain, right? How right, you're not understanding the argument. <laughs> if my so my mind is entangled with my brain such that it requires a brain in order to operate. That's what you said, right? Yes, and, and what I'm saying with quantum cognition, it, it's like you know, perception, uh, memory, decision making can be explained in, in terms of uh, information processing in entangled state which is the same type of properties that space-time is emergent from, it can be uh, mathematically described in, in, you know, in Hilbert space by the, by the same mechanism. Uh, and, and so that would show that there's like, in, in, there's a mind behind the universe. All right, so if, if I'm hearing this correctly, I think Travis has given an argument that what we are seeing um, in, in uh, you know, from what, what would be required at that quantum level is uh, at least similar in some way to what we are seeing if we uh, see what happens in the mind. Jordan, I will give you a chance to respond to that, uh, but um, then I want to bring Tim back in to get his thoughts on this, because he's been quiet over there for a while. But Jordan, yeah. rebuttal from you first. I, I just, it, I don't know how you would determine the difference between my brain is the one doing the thinking, and there's a mind that's got an that is in a quantum superposition and is tangled, entangled with my brain. Like, 
I don't understand. I don't see the mechanism by which you would differentiate between the two things. And given those two things, I can either have quantum mechanics or I can have quantum mechanics and something else. If they both explain it equally well, let's just get rid of the something else. Okay. Uh, uh, so, and that, that's a good point. And I understand your point. And if I could just address that real fast. Okay. So what I'm saying is that, uh, you know, space time is emergent from the same quantum properties that we have. So an, uh, an objection will be, well, why can't we create reality? And that's because our consciousness is entangled within a brain. So, All right. so that's why I wanted to clarify right. that. But ahead, the Tim. actual. <laughs> Tim, let, let's bring you back in here. Uh, what are your thoughts on this, or do you want to take the conversation a different direction? <laughs> I mean, um, it's interesting back and forth. Um, no, I mean, I guess I want to. Um, I'm I'm really concerned on, on on us being on the same page in terms of the um, our lines of reasoning and argumentation. So um, I think we 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 spun our wheels uh, quite a bit on fine tuning here. Um, so I just want to ask: um, Do we do we? Uh, so I presented in my argument. I presented a uh, the perfect foundation argument because. Um, I just like to see this as um, uh, questions about uh, the foundations, which is the nature of reality. You know, what is what? What are the foundations? Um, is the foundations theistic or is it uh, non-theistic? Uh, that, that, that's what I'm concerned with. Um, and so, in that way, you know, um, you know, maybe we're all naturalists, maybe we're all theists. To me, uh, like I said, you know, I, I think that the the supernatural natural distinction gets pushed um, farther and farther as time goes on. We, what we call supernatural changes to things that are natural. I don't think it's a helpful distinction. And I don't think the theist needs it to be a theist. And I don't think they ever really did. Um, so that's not trivial on my part whatsoever. But I want to ask, um, do you guys believe reality in total is self-sufficient with no outside cause or explanation? Yeah, I have no reason to think otherwise. Um, I'm here. I'm sharing a reality with you. It seems pretty self-evident. I will go on that assumption until I'm given a good reason not to. Uh, I'll go with it. That seems simpler to me, going with the reality I observe and can detect and measure. Uh, and so as long as that remains sufficient to explain everything I see, then I don't see, I don't have a need to add anything else. So I guess yes would be the short answer. All right. Cool. So well, what I'm seeing then is, Tim, you, you're presenting, uh, you know, you're saying, let's just grant that we've got, you know, the, the infinite universe here. Uh, and then you want to ask a why question or what's the foundation for that? Um, and it seems to me that the naturalists here, they're saying we don't need a why. We don't need a foundation good as is. So um, how, you know, how do you want to take it from there to show them that they need a foundation, that they need a why? Well, we, we that well, that's what I'm trying to show is we all have our foundations um, that the naturalist is positing that the foundation of reality is non-intentional, mindless and impersonal. And what the theist is doing is we're just flipping those. We're saying it's personal, it's mind and it's intentional. And um, so what however the, the physics are. Um, is irrelevant when we come to the found is when we come to the foundations is what I'm trying to expose. Um, that's why I'm trying to get away from um, mechanisms here. 
um, because I'm trying to stick with the metaphysics because um, that's what this question is really about. So when I say, when I, the reason why I ask is reality in total self-sufficient with no outside cause or explanation, it's really what I'm asking is um, nothing can exist outside the totality of everything. That's a contradiction. And we're all fine thinking people here. We don't, we, ex, contradictions don't, are not things. They don't exist. Um, so the totality, nothing can, nothing can exist outside the totality of existence. If that is true, then the totality of reality is uncaused. There is something that exists that is uncaused. Um, so we both agree at that point that there's something that must exist that has an independent nature and has no cause. Um, so we're both agreeing that the foundation of reality has no cause. Um, I'm, are we on the same page when it comes to that? think so i think so i'm gonna say tentatively yes jordan <laughs> your your audio is also kind of low so yeah. my mic I it, it, it's just decreased uh it, um strangely in, in like in the middle of the stream or the call all right well jared can talk and i'll increase my game <laughs> yeah i i'm rolling that question around in my head very carefully because I don't want to give an answer until I fully understand it. But um, I'm with Jordan. I tentatively, tentatively would say that I agree with that statement. Okay. Um, so, yeah. So I, I think what's clearest um, being, uh, being consistent with reason is that um, nothing can exist outside the totality of existence. So existence is closed. It, existence is causally closed. Um, so if if that's true, then there is no cause of 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 that. Um, so if there is no cause, something uncaused, that's that's just the first cause. Um, and I, what I'm saying is, this is not this is not like a like a runaround trick thing. Like like we can all accept that there's a first cause. Um, you can be an atheist and completely accept that there's a first cause. That this is not a problem. But um, I just want to know that if we disagree on something as fundamental as that, I would like to know before moving on. Uh, that's the only reason yeah. why I bring that up. Um, so if reality in total is self-sufficient, then that, that points us back to the foundations. Okay, everything proceeds from this, from this totality of the self-sufficiency, this independent nature that's, at the, that's the ground layer of reality. Now, what I'm arguing is I'm just simply saying, okay, if we observe the, the set of facts, the fundamental aspects of reality, uh, these are physics, this is matter, uh, minds, consciousness, um, uh, embodied agents that can form moral communities, um, the principles of reason, uh, having sensory experiences that allow us to um, uh, uh, make rational decisions, um, apprehend things rationally. Um, and then um, the universe's uh, mathematical investigative and in, in, investigatable um, structure. If we if we look at these um, of, of these fundamental aspects about reality and we look back at the foundations and then we take our two hypotheses 
Given the theoretical virtues I laid out, simplicity, unification, predictive power, and explanatory power, I'm looking at the foundations and going, okay, well, which one actually has the resources and the predictive power to explain these things? So if I, if I start with matter, for example, um, we both agree that um, matter exists, and matter would then be a part of the, the self-sufficient totality. But matter, so then matter would be dependent upon that. Um, so if we're looking at that, then our self-sufficient totality as a foundation has causal powers. It has power of some sort. Um, now I'm going to stop right here and ask, uh, what are you guys thinking on that? Our, our foundations we're agreeing upon has causal powers. I'm... I'm losing you a little bit. Um, I would need to see this in writing, first of all. Uh, that's how my brain works. But you, you're going from there is no cause, infinite, eternal, to cause. And like there's a jump there where I'm not catching what you're laying down right now. Okay, sure. Um, yeah. Um, okay. So um, basically, and stop me if... Um, if you have any, if you need any more clarification. So what I'm saying is the totality of reality must be self-sufficient because nothing is outside of the total of a totality of reality. That's this is the totality of everything, right? And um, so it's, it's, it, it'd be causally closed. Um, this totality cannot have a cause because it's, it's just the totality. That, that's a contradiction to say it has a cause. So that's, that's the uncaused first cause part. But we know that there's an initial state when it comes to reality in which matter, physics, and things are dependent upon. Um, and these are dependent upon the powers in which the initial state has, the causal powers. Um, do, we, do we agree on that, um, that, that part? Maybe it's because I'm a stupid engineer. But so, so I just not see, see. I'm not see. What, can we cut to the chase? Like, get, give me the explain it like I'm five. Pretend I'm not a philosopher. And okay. then So let's <laughs> explain take this, it to me. Let, let's take this white claw. Um, this white claw is reality. All right, and this is it. So it's self-sufficient. There's nothing that exists outside of this. So there's nothing that can cause this. Nothing exists outside of White Claw. What a bleak universe. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> hey, forgive me. Forgive me, man. Oh. Uh, uh, but, um, so yeah, so this is it right here. But as we see, there's a ground layer in which there's a foundation. Um, and all, and this whole White Claw comprises all the fundamental aspects of reality. Matter, minds, um, uh, embodied agents uh, forming moral communities, consciousness, et cetera, and so forth. Um, this is what reality is. Now, what I'm asking, it, what I'm just, I'm trying to get us onto the same page, starting very simply, is um, matter behaves a particular way and does particular things. So um, the foundations, the independent nature of the self-sufficient totality has causal powers of some sort. And, and, and powers just means an ability to bring about a particular effect. Um, for example, um, I, can, I can bring about the effect of you know, picking up this white claw. I have, as a, 
as a homo sapien, those are my causal power. That's a part of my causal powers. But if we look at reality, the totality and the foundations of that, it's also going to have causal powers because how could other things have causal powers without the foundations having causal powers? That's, that just makes no sense. So do we agree at least that the foundations has causal powers? Because it's, it, 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 the initial state, what I mean by the initial state is just, um, well, I guess the initial state, like the state in which everything causally unfolds from, um, mm -hmm. has the powers to bring about a particular causal unfolding. Um, that's all I'm asking. Okay. So do you guys agree that it has to have some causal powers to found our, our foundations? Sure. Now show me the jump to God. I've been primed. I'm ready to be converted. <laughs> well, the thing is, is that when we're thinking about this, this deep, when we talk about metaphysics, we, we have to get our steps carefully here. I'm, I can't, I'm sorry. I, I can't just jump like that. That's not how this works. Um, nobody does that in the literature either. Um, this is very important that we understand um, our framework here. Okay, so if it has um, causal powers, then how much power does it have is the next question. Um, now, the reason why I ask that is on naturalism, um, it has, its power is limited. Um, there, are a, there are a limited amount of particles. There's a max, there's a limited speed maximum well we call it the maximum speed but it's uh, uh of the universe uh there's a um certain amount of entropy galaxies etc and so forth and my question would be um why are we those limits to me looking at the light of reason are arbitrary these are cutoffs that the foundation is is producing and the foundation has as when it brings about its effects. So, for example, um, being consistent with reason, let's just think about it. Could there be one more particle in this universe? Could there be? Sure. I mean, sure. Can I ask particles. You a question real quick to make sure. So, you're saying that naturalism is limited and theism is unlimited. Is that what you're saying? Well, yeah. I mean, naturalism as a hypothesis. In the, in the totality of everything. Yeah. If if God is in the totality of everything, God is unlimited within everything, and naturalism is limited within everything. Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, so, can you give me an example of something that we see in the world today that is caused or by a theistic God that naturalism could not have caused? You're going to be more specific about that question. Well, I'm asking you, if you're saying there's a difference in that God and this theistic God of yours is unlimited and that naturalism is limited, I'd like an, ex I'd like an example of something that naturalism caused that is limited and an example of something that theism caused that is unlimited. So I'm, what I'm talking about is what the hypotheses assert um, rather than... Um, I guess the goings on. What I'm saying that that I'm 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 looking at them as theories right now. Well, I'm I'm looking at them as what as as what they assert, like their theses. And naturalism implicitly posits limits, while theism doesn't. Right, but in the argument tonight, we're asking what is the better explanation for reality. 
And Jordan and I have presented a case where naturalism accounts for the most things that we see. It is the better explanation for the majority of things. Okay. So I'd like an example of what is theist, theism, an example of that better explains something within our reality in the totality of everything. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I, would, I, I would say that theism has a gain on, on the theoretical virtue of simplicity over naturalism simply because it doesn't arbitrarily posit limits to explain things, while naturalism does. And I would like to know um, why does naturalism posit these arbitrary limits when it comes to explaining the fundamental aspects of reality? It doesn't posit it an doesn't arbitrary posit limit. That. There's yeah. there's a certain amount of entropy in the universe. I didn't posit that. I measured it. I mean, it can grow infinitely into the future, uh, assuming that you can have a multiverse and et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. I won't go into the physics, but uh, okay. I, I so so if, so sorry. So. I don't if if this limited version is enough to explain all of the matter and energy we see, then sell me on this unlimited version. Well, what I'm what I'm asking is is we we see limits, and yeah. this ties into um, well why like what best explains and accounts for limits. And the laws of physics and initial conditions of the universe. Right, but we're saying that all we see is limits right now, and you haven't given us anything that's unlimited, that, unless I miss something. You're asking I, me to accept a a being that doesn't have limits, which is very different from anything I've ever observed. So what 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 I think Tim is trying to say here is that um, when we're looking at what is the best explanation, a simpler hypothesis is a better explanation. Mm -hmm. Saying that I agree. You hypothesis adds all of this stuff all these limits to it and that makes it a more complicated hypothesis and therefore uh not as good an explanation as theism is that right tim right yeah naturalism naturalism is going to posit limits in terms of matter in terms of of the types of entities in which matter produces um it's going to posit limits in terms of um it's basically its capacities are restricted and that's how it explains things and I, I'm, 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 I'm guess I'm wondering like when you speak of the laws of physics I guess well what are your views on the laws of physics here like you just say laws that's of physics point. but but like what do you yep. mean when you just throw out the laws of physics um to explain things because laws of physics yeah, I'm do are they just brute? Do they just have no explanation? Are they just the way they are? Great I mean, question. Okay, so how, is how the hell should I know? <laughs> so what I'm saying is, I think that a virtuous theory, a theory that should be preferred, is one that um, we should opt in for. Unex we should opt in for explained limits, explained contingency over unexplained limits or unexplained contingency when we can. And I think being consistent with reason, we can. Um, I, something that is non-limited, because it seems that limits all have a uniformly alike property of having a further non-circular explanation. Um, I, I think, so, let's give, let's give uh, Jordan a chance to answer that real quick. I, I think, so, so what you're saying is, you have no idea where the laws of physics come. I do. I have an explanation. It's God. So that makes my theory superior. Is that? No, I'm saying that if I look at the foundations, I'm saying that the foundations has the resources to produce things that are limited. Okay. Um, and that 
is a gain on predictive accuracy and explanatory power um, than one that just starts with limits and there is no explanation. Okay, I'd prefer, I'd prefer no theory to a conspiracy theory. Just because I can explain something with a model doesn't mean I should prefer it. Um, and so, yes, if I invoked theism, I would have nothing left to explain because God could, God can be whatever I need him to be. It's super convenient. But that doesn't mean that he exists. Just because I have no, I personally have no idea how the laws of physics came about, perhaps some super strength theory or something, uh, but I don't know, uh, that doesn't mean, therefore, God. See, but we need, we need to get back to what the laws of physics are for a second here. You said the laws of physics come about. And that makes me think that we disagree upon what the laws of physics are. So I want to pass it to you and, I guess, get your definition of what you think the laws of physics are. The laws of physics are what we observe. The way, it's, the, it's the name we give to the patterns that the world or reality we observe operates. Okay. And so um, I think we're on the same page as that. So would you say that they're, they're I guess, descriptions? Yeah. Okay, so they're descriptive. So... What are they what are they describing? They're describing matter in motion. Right. And we have matter, we have these substances mm -hmm. that behave a particular way. Um, but these substances are able to bring about particular effects. They have powers. Okay. These substances have powers. So I guess I'm asking um, what is where do um, what is the best explanation of these discrete independent powers that these substances have to bring about particular effects? Are you asking me where the laws of physics come from? Like what, or what, well, what well, granted now, now, these, what granted? Well, now we're at the level of substances and their powers. So like fundamental, like fundamental particles, you know, um, you know, you have electrons and you put the, and you have things that form atoms and they, these are the microphysical objects that form the macrophysical objects. Mm -hmm. um, but there, you see, it's a, it's a it's a chain of dependency. It's kind of a hier hierarchical chain of dependency. And, and once you get kind of to the level of the substances with the powers that they have, um, does the chain end of dependency? The, like, I mean, like what are these substances depend on for their powers? Eventually, you're going to have to terminate at something, right? Okay, sure. Yeah. yeah. So, so what are, yeah, sorry. Go ahead. I terminate with. These are the, this is the matter and energy we observe, and it operates in certain ways. The end. And it, so, um, so there is no explanation for why the substances have limited powers. There, there, there may be some deeper physics that I don't understand. We don't know right. yet, but we, then we, those physics would be the termination. I don't see any virtue in saying, and yeah, your laws, they terminate, but my God terminates, and my God, like, like I don't, it just seems like, You've just added another step for no reason. Yeah, you're, it, I don't think that substances like necessarily have to be there to begin with. I don't, I'm not I'm not conceding that substances are a real thing. You're you're a, you're saying there's an appearance of substance, um, and so therefore there is substance. But I don't think that's a fact. Wait, you don't yeah, think that, physical substances exist? Not not substance as in like things, like substance as in like having causal powers, like going back to the the root of the thing like laws of physics right, they just are laws of physics they're they're the things that determine what something can and cannot do right but you're mm -hmm. going down another level be below that 
Yeah, well, I, this is where it gets us. We're in deep metaphysical waters now. This is where the whole conversation kind of gets us. Um, and well, I think Jordan and I would both, I'm sorry to cut you off, Tim. I didn't mean to be rude, but like, I think Jordan and I would both agree we're not qualified, one, to talk on that. Um, and two, like, it really doesn't matter for our worldview. Like, like if if naturalism can explain things, and you're, you're trying to say that naturalism can't explain it because it doesn't have unlimited causal powers, and we're saying that even the limits, if if we're going to grant you that naturalism has limits, is enough to explain everything we see anyways. I, I Jordan, so, you can correct me if I'm wrong, done. but I, like... <laughs> yeah, no, I and you know what? I appreciate well, just, your your honesty on that. Yeah, I just want to say think, one more thing, which is, okay. is naturalism can explain it, but you're going to have to sacrifice simplicity. So it's well, going to have explanatory power, I, but you're going to lose on simplicity. I dispute that a god is simple in any sense of the word that is meaningful. Like, it's simpler to say. Like, I can certainly say God in just one word, and boom, I'm done. But just because I can say it in one word doesn't make it simple. Uh, you're positing this unlimited being completely different from anything we've ever observed that has all of these powers. Like, that's, I don't know. That doesn't seem simple to me. Um, David, you want to say something? Uh, yeah, and I, I think we, we beat that horse enough right there. You know, our, our drum's been beaten for a while there. <laughs> but, um so I, I just want to give you guys each a, a minute to close here because we're we're hitting about an hour and thirty. Uh, I know you guys are getting tired, so <laughs> I can see Jordan kind of sloping. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I know when Jordan's tired, I've seen him talk long enough to where he's just like, "I'm done." <laughs> yeah, I know, Jordan. You've been talking a while, man. Yeah, I know it's cool. It's cool. Uh, but no, uh, okay. yeah, guys, you guys, you guys had a great debate, and, and I and I would love to just give you guys a, a second to close. Uh, we'll start with the theists since they started and we'll end with the naturalists okay so Travis, I, I guess good. I'll go start. one minute Let's go on the same okay. order yeah all right yeah so uh to be honest i, I i'm a little bit disappointed in the, in the debate because uh, i think a lot of the argument was misunderstood my argument was that you know when we compare quantum cognition with emergent space time it has the same characteristics indicating that you know uh through through the holographic principle in the holographic universe that space-time is emergent from a mind, and then dependent on that, we have the precision in the laws of physics and the universal applicability of mathematics and, and everything. And so it, it was kind of attack like, you know, uh, well, the, the fine-tuning, uh, well, how many universes can you compare it to and everything? And what I'm saying is that I, I'm starting off with emergent space-time having the characteristics of, of consciousness, and that consciousness is fundamental, and that's why you get the precision in the laws of physics, that's why the universe is so explainable with mathematics and, and everything. And I heard that, you know, the, the laws of physics are almost like just brute facts and, and everything. And so uh, I didn't really find that a sufficient answer. And I would say that theism is the best explanation of reality, given that. All right, Tim. Closing statement. One minute. All right, cool. So yeah, um, no, this was really awesome conversation. Um, just love always getting kind of people's way of thinking about it. And I love thinking about the nature of reality and the foundations. So I think it's always really, you know, exciting to talk about that. Um, and yeah, you know, um, uh, I pretty much, you know, just showed that compared the two theories and, and what they start with. And I, and I tried to see, you know, using the theoretical virtues, um, uh, if they have a cost or a gain in terms of um, theoretically in terms of how they explain things and what I've shown is that um, 
naturalism has uh, construction problems in terms of the resources it can to produce these sets of facts that we see and uh, and um, arbitrary limits, positing arbitrary limits to also explain the things that we see. And I think that a theory that lacks, that has the resources to produce the thing, the sets of facts that um, are fundamental to reality and is non-limited are, um, are uh, is to be theoretically more, super, more preferable. So, uh, yeah. All right, Jared, you're up, bud. Yeah, I, I um, think that throughout the, the debate or the conversation, um, both of you said at one point and granted naturalism to its full extent. Um, and then you added your Skittles into our M&M bowls. And I'm saying I'm still grabbing for candy and I haven't pulled out a Skittle yet. I don't think you convinced me that there's any Skittles in the M&M bowl. And I don't mean to take it down like all Barney style, um, but at some point, you know, like you can go deep down in the woods. And I think you're trying to argue that it's the simplest explanation, but I think the simpler explanation is the one that requires the least amount of hoops to jump through. And we have the least amount of hoops to jump through. Uh, and I just leave it at that. And I enjoy talking with you guys, by the way. So. And you are in the woods, Jared. <laughs> all right jordan Vic, uh give us your final statement bud uh yeah so I, I won't relitigate the whole thing i think what travis said there and is is ending as a faulty analogy saying that this is like this in one respect therefore it's like it in all respects but uh the, the audience will be the final judge on this i have to say this is very reminiscent of my discussion with swan sana this is what happens when you have an engineer talking to philosophers uh but from this lowly engineer's perspective uh, as Jared said, both of our interlocutors at one point said, I grant naturalism. So cool. Then we're done here. Like if, if I can, ex if I can use a naturalistic framework to explain everything into the infinite future and the infinite past and everything in between, then I'm done. I, I have no requirement for anything further. Uh, philosophers may, uh, want to justify their university positions by dithering about more than that. But as far as I'm concerned, Boom. I'm just going to go play video games. Uh, <laughs> thanks for having me on. This is great. <laughs> right on. Well, well, guys, you know, again, thank each and every one of you for being here. It was uh, stimulating, uh, to say the least. And uh, I just wanted to let everybody know that is watching uh, that, you know, the live stream did fail. I don't know if it's something that I did beforehand. I will be testing it. We will get there. I promise we will be there one day. Even if I have to switch over to my main PC, We'll figure it out, but we got some exciting stuff coming up at PRA Raw. With uh, uh, we're going to be critiquing one of our our own uh, a video called uh, what is it called? Matter of Faith. A matter of faith. Yeah. Yeah. I'm... We're actually going to be we're actually going to be critiquing that movie since we've we've been critiquing some atheists and stuff. So now we're going to cr critique one of our own. We're going to uh, stick it yeah. to them. No, we're going to stick it to these young earthers. So, uh, anyways, uh, David, you got anything to say before we close, man? You just want to wrap us up? Oh yeah, I have nothing against young earthers. I mean, I have a lot of respect for young earth creationism. Uh, probably more honestly than in, uh, just about anyone else uh, in this conversation. So uh, I don't, I don't hate young earth creationists, but this particular film, it's bad. There are good young earth creationists and there are bad young earth creationists, and the film will going to be critiquing exemplifies everything bad about um, you know how you should 
well, really how you shouldn't argue for young earth creationism. And so that's why we're doing it, not just because we want to hate on the young earth creationists. But uh, other than that, no, I think that's all we have coming up. And so, yeah, I appreciate the discussion, everyone. And so thank you so much for participating.